Hello Valley Christian Church. So all of those that are here with me in person, to all of those that are watching online, it is so grateful for me to be here with you. Truly, it is an honor. My name is Stephen Francis, and I'm here to give you another message out of our series, The Summer Mixtape. Now, normally, if this is your first time joining us, let me fill you in. Normally, when we do a series here at Valley, it is usually based on a specific topic or a book of the Bible. But what makes this summer mixtape so great is that we, pastors like myself, Pastor Randy, Pastor Susie, Dr. Greg, and, and maybe even some other special guests, are going to be giving you messages that are geared towards whatever it is that God is doing in our hearts to you. And I got to be honest with you, Valley family, I, I wanted to preach this message before, but I couldn't. Um, you know, sometimes when we preach up here on this stage, there could be an idea maybe with you guys watching that we have figured all this stuff out, that, that we're experts on these topics that we're preaching on. But that's not me today. And I, I do believe that I have made some victory and some strides in this specific area. But I come to you today as not as someone that who has figured it all out, but as someone that is fighting with you in this specific subject matter. And the subject matter we're going to be talking about today is how do we have victory over apathy? See, apathy is a big deal more than ever in our country in our world even. And apathy just defined as indifference or an action when action is called for. It's when either you don't care about a situation or you feel careless to do something so you just do nothing at all. And apathy is the single most significant problem we face today in our society. If you look at all the issues that we're dealing with in our world, in our culture today, if we just had more people that weren't apathetic, we would see change. But I have to confess to you today that I've been part of the problem. I realized that I had an issue with apathy not too long ago because I was scrolling on Facebook on my phone like many people do, and I found out that a very dear friend of mine had a mother that was in a terrible accident and was in ICU and needed prayer. And I remember seeing this post on, on Facebook saying that this is something that happened to her mother, someone who I know, someone who I love. And I remember thinking to myself, oh my goodness, someone should do something. We should pray for this person. We should, we should reach out and do uh, what it takes to see them get through. And then the next post was something about HelloFresh. The post after that was somebody's birthday. And I completely forgot that someone I cared for was in the hospital. And you can say, Pastor Stephen, that's normal. That happens to everybody. But that is not okay. That's not, that's not human behavior at its best. And it would be hypocritical for me to come up here on the stage and tell you that you need to care for people if I myself am not caring for people. So I realized after that moment that I had a serious issue with apathy. And my goal today is to show you how we can all have victory from apathy today. See, we live in an apathetic generation, and we can kind of get an idea of how we are living from a passage of Scripture here in Luke chapter 10. See, in this story, Jesus is teaching, and it says this in verse 25. 
And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I just want to stop here for a moment and just point this out. First off, we know that this is a setup because Jewish lawyers at the time already knew the law. And by law, we're talking about the, the Jewish law, the, the, the laws that were given in the five books of the Bible, the first five books of the Bible. But we also need to take note that his question is, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? See, that's a significant question because many Jewish people don't believe in the afterlife. They don't believe in eternal life. So when we see this, what this man is actually asking in its proper context is, Jesus, what do I have to do to live my best and most fulfilled life now? That's what he's asking. But then Jesus responds to him and Jesus says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Again, knowing that this man is supposed to be someone that knows the law already. And he says we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and, and love our neighbors as ourselves. And, and Jesus says, that's right. That's the correct answer. Now go and do likewise. But then he does something that I believe all of us do. This lawyer asks a question that says, well, who is my neighbor? And the reason why I think this is an interesting question, because what the lawyer is asking is he's saying, OK, if this is what I have to do to get eternal life, what what is the bar here? What is who, who do exactly do I have to love to have a fulfilled life? Do I have to love everybody? Do I just have to love the people that are close to me? Do I have to love people that are like minded? Who is my neighbor? Really? What is the minimum I have to reach in order to to, to fulfill this? And Jesus says this story, this powerful story, starting in verse 30. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. He stripped him and beat him and departed, and leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and he saw him. He passed by on the other side. A priest, someone who's supposed to be representing God, did not take time to help him. He moved on. So likewise, a Levite, who is also considered a part of the religious rite, uh, when he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. See, this is an image of apathy, but when you understand the true context of the story, it makes it even more difficult to understand how people can be like this. Because I actually have pictures of this road from Jerusalem to Jericho. This was a real road. This is a picture of the road here. And then we have a second picture over here. Can, we, can you do me a favor? Can you show this first picture again? This is the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And show the second picture one more time. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho. The reason why this is so significant to have a picture of is because there's not really another side to this road. There's no incoming, oncoming with this road, which means that when the priest and the Levite saw this man that was beaten up and wounded and stripped, when Jesus says they went to the other side, there's a strong chance that they literally stepped over him. That this man that was hurting and helpless had people that looked at him and said, that's really messed up, but I got stuff to do today. I have things going on in my life. I got my own problems. Maybe it was his fault that he got in that situation, so he needs to be the person that gets himself out. That grotesque picture of apathy. Apathy. 
is often what we do in our own lives. The same way that I could see that someone I cared for was hurting and continued to scroll because I saw something else that was interesting. So it's important that we understand this truth, that the danger of apathy is that it hurts the people we need to help. Apathy hurts the people we need to help. And multiple articles are showing that we live in an age known as the meh generation, the apathetic generation. And the more that we see people in this type of mindset, the more we will see the problems of this world get worse and worse. And maybe you're even experiencing this at a more personal level in your own marriage, with your children, with people around you, people that are hurting and need your help, but at the same time, if we're honest, we're just too apathetic to care like we should. But the question we do have to ask ourselves is, why do we feel this way? Why are we stuck in this place where we feel like we can't help, where we feel so apathetic? I was researching and doing my best to have an understanding of this, and I came up with four theories why. And, and these aren't just theories, but these are reasons why I believe I have apathy in my own life. The first thing is that we're desensitized with stories. Every single day, something new is happening, and the information is overwhelming. And I believe this more than ever with our current culture because of everything that we've been through. See, I don't want to do anything that would cause people to feel triggered, but can we just take a walk down memory lane real quick? Can we just look at the past 16, 17 months that we've experienced here as a culture? See, in January 2020, we saw a massive brush fire that destroyed much of Australia. In March of 2020, we saw that the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 a pandemic, and there was a world shutdown for the first time in what feels like modern, normal civilization. We saw everyone stop because there was a virus that was ravaging people's lives. And then we also saw a lot of people take a lot of toilet paper more toilet paper than they needed to. But then in May of last year, we saw the deaths of Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and, and, and George Floyd, and that sparked worldwide protests and riots in regards to social justice. Then in August, we saw the horrific explosion in, in Beirut hurting so many people, leaving so many questions of what happened and why. And then back in the United States, we experienced the most divided election of our history, leading to the crescendo of the storming of the Capitol January of this year. And the things that I'm talking to you about right now, this doesn't include the, the, the shocking deaths of celebrities and, and leaders in our country. This doesn't include the scandals of things that we found out about popular Christian leaders and, 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 thought, and thought leaders. This doesn't even include the stuff that we're going through in our own lives. We had our own issues these past year or so. And because of all that we've experienced, we're in a place now where everything just feels like another tragedy. It's just another earthquake. It's just another tornado. It's just another mass shooting. It's just another piece of bad news. We become desensitized. 
forgetting that even though, yes, bad news comes often, that we miss the humanity in the people that are suffering in the midst of those. These aren't just articles, but they are people that we are hearing about that are in dire need of help. But this brings me to the next point that I believe I think a lot of us feel helpless to make a change. Truth is, many of us do care about the things that are happening in our country and in our world, but we just feel helpless to change it. I feel like sometimes when I look at issues pertaining to, to, to race and, and, and to the unborn and, and to other matters that I should care about as a believer, I feel like I'm standing in front of an ocean of problems that needs to be wiped away, and all I have is one towel. I feel useless in changing anything. I feel like it's pointless for me to even try. In fact, me trying only gets me more into the mess. So because of that, many of us just kind of withdraw. And we say, you know what? Let me focus on what I can change. Let me focus on my own problems. I got my own issues. I got my own bills that need to be paid. I got my own toddler that's trying to potty train right now, and I'm tired of him peeing all over the house. I got my own issues. But then I think there's a third thing that's honestly hurting us so much when it comes to being apathetic, and that is that we're consumed with comfort. We live in the most comfortable age in human history. You can order yourself dinner, buy yourself new shoes, and also apply for a new job and never leave your couch. And if I could be honest, I'm not against comforts. I'm all about comforts. I like comfortable things, all of that. But there is such a thing as comfort consuming you. Can I be honest with you? This is my biggest source of comfort, my cell phone. I can, if I'm ever bored, I'll just go on my phone and I can escape whatever issues that I'm dealing with. Watch TikTok and Facebook and Instagram for hours on end. If, if, I'm, if, if I have nothing to do, I can put on a television show and watch Netflix for hours until Netflix even says, hey, are you still watching? AKA, should you be watching television this long? I used to have a habit with playing video games, whether on my phone or, or, or with my Xbox, and it was just a great way to escape. And again, I'm not against those things. In fact, I think in many ways it can unify us, but so many of us are so addicted to our phone that we can't have real conversations with people anymore. Some of us are so addicted to our Netflix, our Hulu, our Amazon Prime video that we would literally stay home and watch our favorite show as opposed to be with another person in real life. I have had honest times where literally as I am playing video games, I will have a relative call me and I will not pick up because I believe that my video game is more important than the person that's calling. That is apathy at its worst. I would rather do what makes me comfortable than even engage in somebody else who may be dealing with a hurt or a pain. But here's the other reason why I believe we're all dealing with apathy more than ever. And I know this is the biggest thing for me. It's that we're tired. We're burned out. We're exhausted. 
We have been through so much as a people. Every single person watching me right now who has survived the pandemic is dealing with a form of trauma, whether small or big. And many of us have dealt with so much loss. Many of us lost income. Many of us lost a loved one. Many of us lost friendships with people because of opinions. Many of us have lost our patience. In fact, it feels like the only thing I've gained over the past year and a half is weight. And because of all of that loss and because of the battle, some of you had to change your whole career in order to be sure you could be with your children while they were educating from home. And some of you were trying to be good Christian people and be positive and, and help and support. And we're just exhausted. And there's a level of, I know I, can't, I know I should care. I know things need to change, but I'm tired. I don't have the ability to do any more. So I'm just stuck in this place. If that's you, I get it. I've been there. I know exactly how you feel. And the purpose of this message is not to demonize you, but to help you understand that, yes, it is tough, and I am with the, you in the fight, but also we got to get up. Because apathy hurts the people who need our help. Your marriage may be struggling because of apathy. Your children may be suffering because of apathy. There may be family members, co-workers, others in your community that need you. But because of apathy, we're stuck on our couches. I love this passage in Philippians 2. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than ourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. This passage opens my eyes for us to understand that in order for us to live our most fulfilled lives, it comes at the expense of helping people that are hurting. That is the whole message of Jesus. That is, that is what we should be living according to. And I know many of us feel that burden still. And you're saying, Pastor Stephen, I hear you. I, I get you. I, I want to help. I want to do more. But I don't know how to get out of this. I don't know how to overcome this. I want to share with you in the time that I have on how I found victory in this situation how I was able to get from where I was to, to the place where I'm at now, and I continue to go. The first thing that I need to do, that I encourage you to do, is rest. In fact, if you have a neighbor next to you, if you're online right now and the chat is open, I just want to ask you to say this, to type this in, give it a rest. Some of you need to give your phone a rest. You need to give social media a rest. You need to give Netflix, Hulu, whatever your taste of streaming services, a rest. 
pause from what you are doing. Here's the truth. We all have very busy lives. We are, without question, some of the most busiest people in, in humanity's history. We all got, we're busy with our jobs. We're busy with our kids. We're busy with, the, with our personal pursuits. We're even busy on our vacations. Many of us know the feeling of going on vacation, and the vacation was so busy, you now need a vacation from a vacation. And I've said this before on this stage, and I'll say it again here today, that busyness always wars against your awareness of God. Some of you even here watching right now, watching online, this is the most interaction with God you've had all week. And even now as you're sitting here, you may just be running through the next thing and the next thing and next month and next year. But we need to rest, have a moment to pause and hear me out. I'm not talking about a nap today, although naps are wonderful. I'm talking about us saying, God, I am going to stop so that I can be more aware of you in my life, what you are doing in my life, through my life, around my life. So not only can I appreciate what you are doing, but I can be more observant of what it is you're trying to do. And when, once we have that moment of rest, it opens us up to this next step, and that is reflect. And when I say reflect, I mean consider what some things that move your heart in a godly way are. The things that break your heart in the same way they break God's heart. And that could be anything from you being a husband that breaks the cycle of broken marriages or being a present parent uh, in a cycle where there was absent parenting. You having better health for yourself because are, are, are being free from certain addictions, that could be a very personal thing. But it could also be something that's, that's more national, that's more global, that's, that, that benefits the community. Because I believe this, that everything that God wants to do in your life is not just for your life, but it's also for the people around you. You're not just blessed by God, but you're blessed to be a blessing by God. And part of that blessing is having a burden on your heart for seeing people and situations around you that you can change. See, I love this passage in, in Romans. And before I even get to Romans, I want to talk about the Apostle Paul just for one moment. Because for many of you watching or, or, or listening that, that aren't familiar with the Bible, uh, Paul was uh, someone who used to be known as Saul. And Saul was this Jewish uh, zealot that, 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 that took it upon himself to persecute Christians. He got them arrested. He got them persecuted because he thought that, that, that Christians were, were the wrong people. But, but then he has an interaction with Jesus that causes for him to become a Christian. And Paul goes from someone that is persecuting Christians to becoming what is without question one of the most influential Christian leaders humanity has ever experienced, writing one-third of the New Testament. And in that passion, we see him say this in Romans 9. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. He is basically just saying, oh, God, this is not a lie. For real, for real, I ain't playing when I say this. I have a great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race. What is Paul saying here? Paul is saying that it 
bothers me so much that there are people that were just like me that don't believe in Jesus the same way that I didn't believe in Jesus, that I would rather them know Jesus and me not, that I would rather trade my faith with theirs because I want to see them come to faith. That's the thing that broke his heart more than anything. And maybe you have a specific thing in your own life that's breaking your heart. Maybe for you, what's breaking your heart is the unborn. And fighting to see more unborn babies have a, a fulfilled uh, uh, development in the womb. Maybe you, maybe you are uh, brokenhearted about racial injustice and doing what it takes to see things be fixed in this country. Maybe it's human trafficking and, and doing everything in your power to save people that are being used as property. Maybe it's clean drinking water or cancer research or helping the less fortunate overseas, getting them educated and getting them the resources so they can better themselves. Maybe it's even student ministry or something here in the church. Maybe it's freedom from addiction. Maybe it's holistic health. There's a long list of things that it can be, but find what that something is. We cannot stay in a place of apathy when there are so many people, there's so many situations that need our help, that God has placed us to help. You know, I was going to say this a little bit later, but I'm just going to say it right now. Do you know that you are the answer to somebody's prayers? Did you know that maybe the person you're sitting next to right now is praying for God to do something powerful in their lives and God has sent you to be that person to reveal God to them? There's a pressure to that. There's a scariness to that. But there's a truth in that. Can I talk to you a little bit about what mine is? Maybe you can get an idea of what it is. When I was 15 years old, me and my friends were hanging out in high school. And this girl, Hannah Anderson, came up to us and said, I want to share with you guys about Jesus. And this girl that we all considered a nerd shared with us the love of Jesus with tears in her eyes. And literally, we all walked away. And many of my friends was like, that was mad weird, bro. That girl is, that girl is a trip. But I myself was rocked. And it changed the trajectory of my life. I gave my life to Jesus later on that week, and I, started and I started just reading the Bible and telling everybody I knew, hey, guys, Jesus will give you purpose. Jesus will give you life. And the thing that would bother me so much is when I say, hey, Jesus is so good. You guys should follow Jesus. They had all of these ideas of Jesus that just weren't true. They was like, nah, man, Jesus is just cruel God in the sky that just rains judgment on us if we don't act according to his perspective of morality. Jesus isn't actually God. Jesus is just this philosopher, this teacher that, yes, had some great dynamic teaching, but he was nothing more than just a man. But the people that honestly drove me to anger the most were people in the church that talked about Jesus in ways that weren't true. I told this story last year, and I'll briefly, I just want to share it. 
when, after I gave my life to Jesus, there was a youth event at my church, and I invited 20 of my friends and, and family members and neighbors, all the people that were my age. And at this service, we heard a preacher get up, and he preached all of this fear-mongering, just all of this, that we're all just wicked people, and that God hates us, and we need to give our lives to Jesus, and we need to stop having sex because he, he knows we're all having sex. All of these really random, just really wrong things, wrong theology things. And then he did this thing where he took a water bottle, and, and, he, and he backsplashed into it, and he says, who here would want to drink from this? This is what your life is like if, if you're sleeping around with other people. And I had a friend lean in and say, is that what you believe God thinks about me? And it broke my heart because that's not the heart of God at all. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. If Jesus sees you, Jesus wants you. Jesus loves you. And Jesus was so clear on that point when he was here on earth. He said that he came to seek and to save the lost. He was always helping the lost, the broken, the needy, so much so that the people that seemed to have it all together, the people that seemed to have been uh, the ones that were considered more righteous, they kind, of, they kind of felt some type of way about it. They said, hey, why are you hanging out with them and not us? Jesus, and Jesus says, because I'm here for them. My focus is them. My drive to see change in this world will happen through them. Not through you guys that think you have it all together and think you got it all right. Not towards you people that are apathetic to help these people that are lost and broken. But then we see this. After we reflect on what it is that Jesus wants to do in our lives, we then race to the rescue. We, we find what it is that we need in order to see change and we run to it. Here's the thing about when you run a race, Valley. When you run a race, you don't look all over the place. You stay focused on one specific destination, the finish line. So I want to encourage you with just a couple of things. First off, focus on something. Maybe even focus on one thing. But do not feel guilty about not focusing on everything. Because I think what many of us are experiencing right now is compassion fatigue. We're supposed to care about this. We're supposed to care about that. And we're not lowering the level of importance of any issue. But what is it specifically that God has called you to help with? And once you know specifically what that one issue is, or maybe it's a couple we focus on that, and by focusing on that, that doesn't necessarily mean that we also start something new, but that we partner and help people that are already doing it. This is something that I believe is done masterfully here at Valley Christian Church. This is why we support Sparrow's Nest, because we support people that are battling with cancer. And Sparrow's Nest helps give meals to people that are in treatments during cancer. And I'm so excited to be a part of a church where our lead pastors felt the need to bless these wonderful people at Sparrow's Nest and gave them $5,000 to help continue doing their great work. But we didn't just stop there because we also have a passion for the Walter Hoving home and helping those women that are battling with substance abuse. And we even given space to Unshattered Next Door, which is giving not only these women a place to be in recovery, but also give them employment and have them be in the marketplace again where many people wouldn't allow them to be. 
We have bread of life, which seeks to help those that are both hungry and need clothing. And we also have ministries like Habitat for Humanity that we partner with and and we send people with helping build homes and, 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 and shelters for people that are in need. None of these things that I just mentioned are things that we ourselves started. We just said we're passionate about this and we are going to partner with those that are already doing it, accomplishing the mission and the purpose that God has placed in our hearts. And let me say this, because even though we're going to take the time to be sure that we rest and reflect and race to the rescue, apathy is still going to show up. I don't come up here today with a cure for apathy. I come up here with a strategy to defeat apathy on a daily basis. Apathy is going to come up and it's going to say, man, there's nothing you can do. Man, there's this new show on Netflix. You should just watch that instead of actually step out into an uncomfortable place and help other people. Hey, listen, aren't we tired? Shouldn't we just let someone else figure it out? And whatever apathy is saying to you, remember that God has given you too big a plan and a purpose for you to just sit down and do nothing or keep scrolling or keep sitting. I want to encourage you to be sure that whatever it is that you are pursuing, that you seal it with zeal. Now, I'd, I have a whole sermon on zeal that I want to do with you guys one day. I hope to. But I do want to just talk about what zeal is because it's not necessarily a common word that we interact with daily. See, zeal isn't just passion where you feel some enthusiasm to start something. Zeal is the will and energy to see it through to the end. Many of us have felt passion before about a specific issue or matter, but the passion faded. And here's the truth. That is normal. But zeal is that tireless devotion that even when I don't feel it, I'm going to get up and I'm going to push forward. Romans 12, 11 even says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Zeal is about commitment and being able to do the work in the hard times. But this is why we need community to help us. This is why we need God's word and our spirit to reinvigorate us. Because it's so easy for us to just stay in a place of apathy. To allow ourselves to just be about me and mine to the point that we let everything and everyone burn around us. Valley, I refuse to be the person in Jesus' story that steps over someone that's hurting because I'm too busy going where I'm going. I want victory over my apathy. And if you want that for yourself, I just want you to pray this prayer with me. 
Dear Jesus, give me victory over apathy. That's it. Simple words. Say it again with me. Say it for the first time if you missed it. Dear Jesus, give me victory over apathy. Jesus, I thank you for these wonderful people. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have never been apathetic towards us, but Lord, that you extend your love and your mercy relentlessly. Lord, let us carry on your spirit. Let us carry on your nature. And Father God, let us be people that care. Let us be people that love the way that you love. Thank you. We praise you. I believe all this is done. In Christ's name.